Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we are going to be talking with singer, songwriter, musician, Ray Davis about consciousness and music. Very, very excited about this topic. So before we get started, Michael has some announcements. Hi, everyone. And uh, here we are coming to the end of November already, end of our first year. Um, we're really excited. We did 50 shows this past year, so and we feel good about that. We hardly missed a week, and we hope we're not going to miss too much time this coming year. We're going to have a lot of great guests on. It's going to be fun. Just to give you guys a quick peek at what's ahead of us, um, we've got the cosmic weather for December coming up next week. So we'll look at the astrology that's happening in December and what that might all mean. And then coming up as our guest in December, our first uh, Tuesday, will be the return of Mystic Mitten Paranormal from Detroit. And they're going to talk to us about what they've been up to in Michigan, chasing ghosts and all their latest exploits and adventures. And that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, the following week, we have our good friend Humberto Braga back. He started a website for networking psychics and mediums and healers and all kinds of cool people. And he's going to talk about that project and how he's looking at that to make the world a better place. And then our last guest for December is going to be our good friend David Ullman, who has just released his book, Ghosts of Cielo Drive. And he's the, the, the friend of ours that lives next to where the Manson family did in Sharon Tate and all those people up in Benedict Canyon. And so he's going to talk about all the things that go bump in the night in his house. And it's a very famous haunted property that he lives on. And we've been there many, many times. And hopefully maybe somewhere in the new year we might even do a remote show from there. You never know. We, we've thought about it. So we, we'll see if we have the courage to do that. <laughs> So um, thanks for all the support. We And please subscribe. It makes us feel good to get new subscribers, obviously. And we're really happy that you guys are enjoying the show. Please comment. Our live chat, chat will be up if you have comments for Ray or questions. And, you know, let us know and we'll pass them on. Um, and you can get all the information on our show on our, our website, which is SixthSenseSociety.com. And it's S-I-X-T-H. It's spelled out. So SixthSenseSociety.com. So go there and find out all our information and check our Instagram, all that cool stuff. And with that, I'm going to send it back to Krista. And I am also really excited about this show because it, it, music fascinates me, as we know, and Krista as well. And, and consciousness fascinates me, so it should be a good topic. So take it away, guys. Great. Thanks, Michael. So welcome, Ray. We're very happy to have you here. And um, I'm very uh, impressed by your talent. Uh, not only are you a singer-songwriter, but you play the trumpet, the piano, guitar, you also are very interesting and a deep thinker from the little bit of time I've spent with you talking. And But I, I did listen to some of your music on your website. Oh, cool. And I, I mean, I, I've heard you here at the Lodge, and I, I was already impressed, but now I'm really impressed. Oh. <laughs> so welcome. Oh, wonderful. I can but, see you're, you've been immersed in music for a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. So how did you start your journey with music? I got born. <laughs> <laughs> Came out of mama. <laughs> I mean, really, that's that's the truth. Because my mother is a, a wonderful musician, um, uh, mostly a church musician. Mm -hmm. She plays piano and organ and sings. And there was always music in the house. Mm. Uh, I'm uh, one of seven kids. Wow. Uh, the oldest boy, uh, which is important because you know boys rule. So it's important to note that I'm the oldest boy. <laughs> <laughs> there were four boys, three girls, and uh, everybody participated in music to some extent. I wow. probably took it further than anybody else other than my oldest sister, who was also a great pianist, choir director. Uh, she writes a bit and sings. Wow. Yeah. That is so cool. I always liked musical families. Oh, yeah. It was fun. It just, it just seems so wholesome on a lot of levels. It really does. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good thing. You know, because um, as as we'll talk about, music sets a mood 
in a sense. And it's not just a fleeting mood. It's, it's, a, it's something you can bank on, something you can count on. And the mood established in our household early on by my mother just practicing what she needed to practice a piece for the for the next uh, Saturday. We were seven day Adventists, so our our, our churches church met on Saturday. You know whether it was for that or for another church she was playing for, working with a soloist, someone coming over. Uh, you know we were infused with spiritual music, mm-hmm. you know specifically Christian music, right? Uh, and that made a big difference in the way that we behaved in the house and how we worked with each other. I mean we didn't walk around. On eggshells, like a, or pious, right? But you know, there are certain things that happen to other families that just wouldn't happen in our household. My experience was, I, I think we, I talked to you before the show. Is my Hungarian grandmother was a um, concert pianist and trained to be a concert pianist, and so she deeply influenced me in, in the piano. Even though she never encouraged me to make a living as a pianist, yeah. but I loved her playing, and I. I definitely think probably because of her, I was interested in, and still am mostly interested in classical piano, like playing it myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I, when I came back to just listening to classical music, like at night I go to sleep, I always have the classical music on. And my grandmother was like that. Mm. The other thing that was kind of unique about her is she hated recordings. Really? Yeah, she always felt music, and she had a point. She always felt mm-hmm. like music had to be experienced in person. Yes. And even though she would had her her secret Horowitz piano recording in her room, <laughs> <laughs> who didn't? <laughs> she would got to have Horowitz. Exactly, and and she would she would go to a lot of concerts, and she would take me sometimes. And she was also really very big on going up to the artist during the breaks. And I remember there was this one, he was, um, I forget who he was. He was a African-American pianist that was amazing, but I, I forget, it was very young. And he was sort of um, on the side, like just in between on intermission. And so my grandma's like, I'm gonna go up to him. You know, she's a little tiny Hungarian woman. He's like, grandma, he's like too important, you know. She's no, no, you must always go thank the artist. And, <sighs> and she did, and he was so, he was so gracious. And now I understand that, you know, cause a lot of times the artists don't get directly right. thanked. <laughs> That's but she exactly, always yeah. thought that was part of the manners, you know, you must go and talk to them and thank them. And so she definitely taught me some things about music appreciation, I think, yeah. which I think any of us can benefit from, too. If Even if you don't want to necessarily play music, though, personally, again, because my grandmother said in Hungary, everyone played an instrument like it was just not a big thing. Yeah. And I guess, you know, that was like almost like a sport. And so she didn't quite understand sometimes the overemphasis on, oh, I play an instrument instead of it being just part of your life. And yes, maybe some people become masters at it. And and I, I feel that way about singing. Like, I feel like we should all sing. What do you think about that? I agree. I agree. I agree on both fronts. Just quickly on the singing bit. I think it is important for every person to sing and be, sing from early, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Most people I, who I talk to who say that they can't sing, what they mean by that is that they can't, or they have um, they have an underdeveloped uh, ability for pitch matching. So the mm-hmm. tone that they hear outside of themselves, they are not able to uh, accurately match from within. In other words, the, the voice mm-hmm. singing. Uh, which often sounds like uh, uh, monotoning or, you know, they kind of stick around the same pitch mm. no matter whether the melody goes up or down. And that is usually indi- indicative of, of someone who either didn't or was not encouraged to sing as a child and sing uh, in a community. Mm-hmm. So a children's choir singing in church or other kind of community gatherings could be a club, could be, a, you know, anything like that. But communal singing Early on, freak and regular, regularly that that uh, because it connects us in a way, like in a sense, like food, like shelter connects us. Necessary mm-hmm. experiences, uh, necessary for every human for the for the full health and wholeness of a human. So I completely agree with the singing part. Part most people will not get to the point of becoming great singers in the sense of I'm a soloist. So what? Mm-hmm. Sing. It's for the person singing that we sing, not right. for the audience. That's a secondary benefit. Don't you think that's why people love sing-alongs? 
yeah. that they have a chance to just do it and no one's going to judge them or yeah. make fun of them. And, and you know, speaking of um, consciousness and, and music, the topic, there was a show in Britain, and I think it was called The Choir, and they oh, yeah, they yeah. would bring. I never saw it. But, oh my but, yeah, god! It was it. so moving. They would bring together communities that often had conflicts, and they were using mm. a choir to bridge differences, and it was working. And so it seems like it can literally change consciousness if we sing together. Like mm. like different. I, I forget some of the examples, but there was often they were people that really didn't get along, or or people that were maybe fringe people, mm -hmm. or. And I was so impressed by the idea. I, I think it was only one or two seasons. I don't know what happened to the show, huh. but um, I should check. I should go back and look at that. That that's really remarkable. It, it was remarkable. It was it was very moving and inspiring. And I thought, boy, L.A., we need more of that. Huh. <laughs> you know, to bridge the we have so many different cultures and different kinds of people, which in one way is great, but the consciousness of L.A is lacking a little right now. You know, I think personally, having been in Venice, you've been here your whole life, right? Yeah, yeah. But just the 20 years, I just feel like it's it's not changing and growing enough, you know, for such a big, important city. Yeah, yeah. I I think we're getting more marginalized. Margin, not marginalized, but siloed is really mm -hmm. what I would like to think. You know, LA is huge. Uh, that is the territory. It's wide mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. and uh, comprises a lot of smaller communities, and people will identify with those communities or, you know, identify with a particular scene, you know, uh, whether it's uh, art or music or uh, sports or that kind of thing. But I agree with you in that, in that there isn't a lot that brings us together across those lines. Sports can do that from time to time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, but I have a, a very good friend. Uh, she sings with me in our band, and, and we've worked together many, many times, who uh, every Tuesday night, when I'm here with Lodge, uh, every Tuesday night, she's leading a community choral kind mm. of thing. Mm -hmm. She just gathers, people come, not paying anything, sit in a big circle, and they sing songs. All kinds of songs, mm -hmm. all kinds of folk songs. Uh, some take some modern song, uh, pop songs, uh, uh, traditional songs. Some some of them spiritual, some of them, uh, but but just music. Just they just sing together. She'll teach them parts. You know, she'll teach them counterpoint. Wow, it's, it's wonderful. Where does and, she do and this? She, she does it in uh, in Lamarck Park, Lamarck oh. Park in Inglewood. Wow. Yeah, and uh, she is actually part of. Uh, at least here in North America, between uh, Canada and U.S., there is a growing community choir kind of movement. Hmm. People who are interested in doing it, and and a lot of it stems from uh, folks who want to preserve folk music. Okay. Yeah, and uh, keep that going. It, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, from time to time, uh, um, I'll come across somebody in an audience who doesn't recognize a particular song that we might do or something. And it, it, it's, an, it's interesting to me how quickly music can, can fall into an oldies category, mm. you know. And so the current generation or the, the one just preceding it, they're not, uh, they're unaware of it. You know, a lot of the music that I that um, we might have heard growing up, we heard on television. You know, variety shows and that type of yes. thing. And uh, you know, you don't have that experience today. Even uh, television shows generally don't have theme songs, which oh. was which is a big change. Right. So there's less. I, I know I'm bringing up trivial, mundane little things, but the music has always functioned as a sort of cultural uh, touchstone for us. Now, in, oh, that was lovely. <laughs> I think it's E flat. E. Okay. So, um, where was I? Touchstones. Yeah. Touchstones. So, in terms of in in terms of consciousness, this has always been held up by the the churches, and specifically Christian churches. You're going to find more uh, communal singing than you would say in in a, in a Jewish synagogue, right? Uh, where they're led by the cantor. There's beautiful music there. Um, but, you know, with less participation in traditional Christian churches, there's a, there's a gap there. So I, ah. I, I agree with you. I, I think that there is need for, you know, singing what would be thought of as patriotic songs. You don't hear much of that anymore. That's true. Just, there just aren't 
occasions for it. So it's nice to see a movement where people are trying to at least bring people together to sing something that they can agree on. Mm. That's interesting. And that let's talk about how the dissemination of music can be positively used in affecting consciousness and negatively used to manipulate consciousness. So um, so let's start with uh, the positive view <laughs> of, of how we can lift people up. That's an example of what you were saying. Um, I hadn't really thought about that the people not going to church as much and being is really affecting music. And then the theme songs, you're right, when I thought about Little it. Little things. So, so I guess you just have to find new ways like that the, the world around is doing with the music. And I guess there are some shows, I have to admit, like... We watch America's Got Talent, and I've seen mm-hmm. some unusual groups, oh, yeah. like from Africa, and they are pretty good at displaying the different kinds of musical talents through the world. And I mean, I've learned about things I never would have seen, honestly, because I, mm. you know, it's hard to find out, you know, where do I listen to music now, too, because there's different ways you can listen. You know, I can mm-hmm. download a song, whereas when I was growing up, it was vinyl records right. and the radio. I mean, yeah. you know, it wasn't a lot of different things when yeah. you think about it. And and that can be a little overwhelming. Like, how do I, do I choose my music or are, are we being manipulated sometimes by the choices that come through to us? Oh, man. <laughs> how much time do we have to talk? <laughs> There's so many good things here. Okay, I, I, I want to... Um... Uh, get to this uh, dissemination thing, and 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 um, first first thing that came to mind was, we shall overcome, we shall overcome, we shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome someday. Yeah, that was a a, a huge part of the civil rights movement here in the U.S. Huge part of it, mm-hmm. and it was. One thing that united every person who was interested in seeing the the vision that came through Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, show up in actual society. It united people, and and all of the songs, all of the songs that were sung on on the, uh, for instance, uh, in the march, uh, um, Selma, and the march in in uh, on Washington D.C. The, the songs that were sung at these events and innumerable local events, they united people in spirit. Mm-hmm. How is it able to do it? How is it able to do it? <clears throat> Music has an effect on us. Easy enough to see. Um, I remember when I was going to church, Seventh uh, Adventist Church, I remember one, one uh, Saturday. Before the service started, and um, someone's toddler, about maybe a year and a half old, had made way up to the front where the organist and pianos were playing, and just started moving. You could see the diapered bottom bouncing up and down. <laughs> now this was this was interesting to me because this was a while ago, a number of years ago. Um, very briefly, the uh, Seventh Day Adventist denomination, a, a wonderful Protestant denomination at the time, uh, it's not as much today, but at the time had uh, admonitions about what type of music was proper. I mean, it's still in existence within the church, but it was much more narrowly defined back then, mm-hmm. uh, and so. Music and so the response to music also. It, music couldn't be too spicy, too mm-hmm. you know, too worldly was the word used. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, also dancing. I, I didn't grow up dancing. None of us grew up dancing. Mm. None of us danced. Uh, and so to see this little toddler walking on up there and just start <laughs> you know, little booty bop, bopping around <laughs> was remarkable. And it hit me at the time. I realized something. It's like. The response to that, what's happening in that child right now was not taught. That's true. But it can be taught out. It was not taught in. It can be taught out. Mm-hmm. That, uh, it was a little girl. She showed up with that. Mm-hmm. All children show up with a natural response to rhythm, to pitch, uh, a tempo, timbre, these elements of music. Music moves us involuntarily. Mm-hmm. 
That's true. You find sometimes your foot starts tapping, you didn't even realize you it. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you don't like the person performing, if you give yourself enough time, <laughs> you're going to feel a physical response to what's coming through. You know, it, it, your mental idea about them can can you know color it a bit. But if it's got if it's bumping, it's bumping. If it's soothing, it's soothing. If it if it thrills you, it thrills you. Know, if it so, in, in other words, like archetypal uh, images that we would find in tarot and mm-hmm. tarot cards. Music is an archetype. Tone is an archetype. And specific combinations of tones, uh, rhythmic patterns, harmonic sequences. Mm-hmm. These things uh, carry narrative meaning to us. Mm-hmm. You know, meaning that we collectively give it, but meaning nonetheless. So um, it, it makes perfect sense that one could create music with the intention to uh, anger mm-hmm. or the intention to inspire the intention to uh, um, comfort, or the intention to insult. Mm -hmm. These things are are absolutely, I mean, any any dance band will tell you, my choice in songs, I want to get them up on the floor. I Mm want to get them moving. That's the whole purpose why I'm choosing this particular song and this particular beat. If I'm a creator, a composer, one of the the things I want to know is, what's the intention? You know, who's the audience and what do we want to do? What, how do we want to affect them? A lot of times, uh, uh, songwriters have exactly that kind of conversation. Not always, but many and, times. And it's interesting, too. So it really comes down to the individual in terms of how they affect the culture and consciousness, such as, like, in the Nazis using music, mm, patriotic yeah. music, and the classical musicians to manipulate and also deliberately um, program people. I, there's, I found this site. It's this whole site... Um, a blog called Music in the Holocaust. And I guess there's Ooh. more research going into the whole music side of the Holocaust. And it's quite detailed. I mean, I learned a few things I didn't even know about, but I had no idea it was just so, so deliberate, the, mm. the, the, the way they handled music. And, and they, they, they had this, um, how did they call it? There was, um, there was a, a festival that the um, degenerate music exhibition of 1938 attacked jazz and Jewish music as degenerate. Yes. So they were trying to d- define what degenerate was. And they, even they had a hard time because there were some Jewish composers they liked. And so they were trying to, you know, and, and of course, Germany does have some great composers in its oh, history. Fabulous. So they do have that going for them, kind of. But what's really horrible I learned was that on this site, it's called, like I said, it's called Music and the Holocaust, um, a blog, and they they used music as torture. They would have Mm -hmm. um, musicians, inmates play music while others were being beaten or they were outside the gas chamber. They even used it during public hangings and executions and when over loudspeakers during mass shootings. Talk about abuse of music. And, and good music. So it's, you know, music is kind of largely innocent. We'll talk about there are some sounds that destroy, but we're the ones causing the problems with music, yeah. largely speaking. Yeah, and, and it, it follows everything else uh, with um, human, the human, the overall human experience on the planet. That is by um, methods we, we can refer to as scientific. We observe and experiment and try. Uh, use things, um, we make use of our discoveries. And to discover music, and and to discover music means more than just uh, discovering the fact that I can sing or I can make, uh, I can extend uh, the sound and create pitch. And Aside from that, deciding that I can use it, you know, how I use it is... is, um, is, is the important thing here. Yes, it, it makes sense that we can destroy as well as create musically. You're talking about the Nazis. One of the things that I, I found interesting about that uh, was um, Hitler's apparent love of uh, Wagner. And um, <clears throat> what was I just hearing? A bit of, uh, not Demeistersinger, but uh, uh, piece I just heard on the radio. But you listen to Wagner's music and it's it's... It makes sense. It makes you listen to Wagner. A lot of times, you want to sit up straight. You know, it's it, it can be very inspiring, and there there are, there are martial elements. 
mm-hmm. in in some of the of, of his uh um compositions and uh so i i can see why he would want to use that but here's the uh, man i'm still reeling from what you talked about there man to use beautiful music while people are being tortured yeah that was new i didn't know they did that i didn't know that. no i didn't know they did that and they would make the jewish people play of course Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, they, they had some twisted. So what twisted they're doing minds. is they're they're taking the, the the natural narrative that we collectively will create around certain uh, progressions and uh, uh, pitch combinations and timbre combinations. I'm thinking right now that beautiful combination of uh, uh, um, uh, flute clarinet, flute clarinet. When the flutes and clarinets are playing either in unison or at the octave. It is a it's it's a gorgeous sound to me. It reminds me of of um, of of what's the word azure azure blue, with a shine over the top of it. Mm. I don't know why, but but it it creates a kind of sparkle in the midst of of a piece. If if you take that combination and you pair it with the first violins, first and second violins, even playing a, a line similar, that line is it's going to shimmer. But to take that kind of combination for instance it, and it doesn't matter it could be you know trumpets and oboes it does, but combinations of instruments and and uh as i said progressions that we have collectively created narratives around and distort it to use something that's intended to be comforting or use something that's intended to uh, uh raise one's sights to the heavens while they're being massacred. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's evil. That is truly evil. Yeah. Yeah, just when you think you've heard the lowest yeah. of, with the, the Nazis. And, and I'm sure there's other periods mm-hmm. that did things like that as well. But, and then there is the obvious um, way. You know, I don't know if this is really music, though. Though we were talking about amplification. If, mm-hmm. it's, if it's really amplified, you were talking about the physical pressure. Oh, yeah against the body and some people lose their hearing because of the over amplification yeah. um which it does kind of puzzle me a little bit i i've never quite understood why a lot of musicians will overly amplify things when it's not necessary for hearing because it i i really feel it in my body yeah. and i don't like it yeah i don't mind at a big concert because you know it dissipates yeah and you can sit away from it yeah but it must be some form of pleasure for them i've decided <laughs> all right well I, I have a couple small theories on that one number one I, you know when i'm when i'm on the bandstand i i really don't want it to be too loud I've just adjusted that way, but there was a time, you know, <laughs> you want it the louder, the better. And I think, uh, uh sometimes it's, it's, um, also a male thing. Mm-hmm. I really do think that, uh, guys create situations just to test the body's limits. You know, it's from punching each other, hit me harder, hit me harder. Okay, well, what, what sense does that make? You know, all kinds of things. But yeah, I think some there's some of that. But there's a wonderful rush of feeling when when that's all around you and within you, you know. You got the bass, you got the drums, you got, you know, guitars are playing. Kids, it's, ah, it's just, it's great. It's a great feeling. But yeah, it does tear up your hearing. Yeah. Yeah, so it does. Gotta, gotta and probably everyone's wired differently. Like I'm wired to feel very sensitively. I've always been that way. It has nothing to do with anything. Like just that's who I am. Mm-hmm. I used to not even be able to go to concerts. Oh. And my mother was wow. like that. So I think it's genetic. <laughs> like it it's like be, my it nervous be. system, you know. Everyone's systems are different. Yeah. And I just figured that's that's not a judgment. Someone feels things differently than others. Some people feel some things very subtly. Sometimes people smell things that other people don't. You know, we're like animals that way. Yeah. And um, yeah. so that's probably part of it as well, because I, I I can pick up on very subtle sounds and feelings very easily, you mm-hmm. know, like birds do. Yeah. And, yeah. and and that's one thing I want to talk about. We think about music and consciousness being human. But one of the interesting mm. things I find is um, how many uh, creatures where music is their way of life. Now, birds are the obvious and I'm always fascinated by those little birds hidden in the trees at night, and they all get together and they're singing away. And we want to know what are they singing about? Like it's so obvious, important, you know. And I, I just wish I could understand I it, you know? know. I know. 
And then you have the whales communicating mm-hmm. with music and they change their songs. And to me, that's part of consciousness that we're not the only ones that use music. That is a brilliant observation, I think. It is most certainly an aspect of consciousness. Music, like speech, is an as- is, is uh, a type of uh, expression. Yeah. Um, you, you were talking about animals. First thing that came to my mind was wolves and dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a beautiful, um, one of two beautiful stepdaughters who lives in Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah. She and her husband have two dogs. And um, those dogs like to sing. They get together. She'll start singing something with an ukulele. She's, you know, plays uk. And they'll, ooh, they'll just start. If, if you start one of them, they'll, it's just a whole family singing. And, ooh, just howling, That's howling. amazing. It's communication. It right. is, it is, you know, when dogs speak, it's more the bark. What's with the howling? Mm-hmm. What is that all about? Why do, why do wolves howl at the moon? I was thinking about also, um, here's something to, to consider. If our first musical instrument was the voice, it was a perfect human voice, what is the difference between speaking and singing? Hmm. That's a good question. One would say that speech, that singing is elongated speech. That's one way we could say it. It's organized elongated speech. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because one. Uh, but there is pitch with every word that we say. There is pitch with every word that we say. As we speak, we establish rhythm. Mm-hmm. Our individual voices uh, express timbre or the characteristics, the the specific characteristics of sound. That which uh, helps one distinguish the difference between a viola and a banjo. Mm-hmm. That's timbre. Um, a, a pace or tempo is an aspect of it. Again, as, as something to do with rhythm. All of the elements of music are there in our speech, but we don't recognize it that way. Yet, our speech can have, you know, obviously has a profound effect on us mentally, but it, like music, has a, a, a subconscious effect on us as well. So it's possible to have a conversation with someone and they're saying very pleasant things, but I'm getting the distinct impression that this mm. person does not wish me well. Yes. There's music. There mm-hmm. are elements of music in our speech as well. So I would say that uh, consciousness requ- consciousness always results in music. In um, ah, the Sefer Yetzirah, it suggests that the cosmos was created with with uh, um, sound vibrate through sound vibration through the utterance, the expression of tones. Mm-hmm. And specifically in that case, I believe is the Aleph Beit, you know, the Aleph Beit, that kind of thing. Beit. So, and um, a part of my personal spiritual practice, and and this is uh, um, reflected in all spiritual communities. I, I, I chant and intone mm-hmm. certain uh, prayers that I will intone musically, tones, pitch. Uh, there are pitch correspondences with uh, all of the Aleph Beit, everything in Tarot as well. So, uh, well, I shouldn't say everything, but the 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 um, twenty four, you know, twenty two, twenty two major arcana. Yes. Um, so, where consciousness is, there is music. There is music. You know, I I I thought about. I never thought about the difference between you know words and mm-hmm. music, and and some people must know that. Maybe that's why they're voices are so naturally resonant yes or you know like morgan freeman you just like listening to his voice and i i I don't remember the podcast i was listening to but it was about mantras and music and Mm. he was saying how he can tell a lot by how someone speaks and i i didn't finish the podcast but i and Mm. he can he can tell things about you know what's missing in the person like their wounds and certainly you can kind of hear when people are cut off you can tell when their speech sure. is really cut off from their, you know, they're like talking up here, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not some kind of genetic thing where, right. you know, someone was born that way. Um, but one of the things I feel from when I, I did take some professional singing lessons with the most amazing, beautiful teacher that I, I've had some great music teachers. And I think that's why I went to them, because they taught me about life, actually. Mm, yeah, yeah. All of my music teachers gave me lessons of life. Yay. And she was... Um, 
she was one of these people that was really looking to have the experience of a beautiful sound. I mean, she started off with just wanting to sing, she said, so she kind of went into the opera world. And But, you know, she made me very aware of how to produce sound differently from, you know, where you start and, you know, exercises that they give you. And when you produce sound from different parts of your body, I feel it, it, it has a healing effect on the body. So that depending on if you, that's why, you know, I guess it's better for your vocals too to start, you know, lower on. But it also, you know, toning's like that too. Have you ever done toning where you just make sounds until the group starts sounding really good together, yes. but you're just making sounds and you start to feel really good and soothed. And, and I don't know, perhaps words could do that, but we don't usually use them that way. Whereas music just lends itself mm -hmm. to doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that healing, soothing, like laughter, you know, is like that too, where it's just massaging parts of your organs. And um, and it is always amazing. You know what I find amazing is when um, when I'm watching like America's Got Talent, this little bitty person gets up there with this huge sound. I mean, I still can't get over it. And no one gets over it. Everyone's always like this. It doesn't no. matter how many times you see it. I said, how did that voice come out of that eight-year-old? <laughs> It's like, it's, I don't know, but some, you know, some folks just, they're just born with it though. Just, they you know, are. Born it's with like the capacity. I'll give you another example, but from a different age range, uh, Tony Bennett. Mm -hmm. Tony Bennett to me is a marvel of nature. The guy has, he, ever since the beginning uh, of his career, I've got a bubble on a string, you know, the, this huge voice, but not just big like Pavarotti. It's a cutting voice as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so he, he was able to cut through big bands. I mean, the guy was, and to, to this day, he's well in his 90s, right? He's still going. Oh, wow. I mean, the voice is not exactly as great as it was, but you right. still hear that, that fire right. in his tone. And he's still got that big resonance. That's just Tony Bennett. Right. You know, Frank couldn't, uh, Frank couldn't sing quite like that. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I don't know if it's some people say it's a gift or it's genetics or who knows what it is. And but you you know we all recognize it when we hear it. Freddie know? Mercury. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that one. And, yeah. And uh, you know he credited the odd shape of his jaw or whatever with uh, with resonance. Yeah, I can't imagine that that didn't help hurt. But I, I want to address something you said earlier, Krista, about. Um, music teachers and voice teachers and, and teaching to sing from different parts of the body. Here's a funny thing about music teaching. And, you know, I might be starting some stuff up here. Or not music teaching, but voice teaching in particular. I think that teaching voice is the hardest, is most difficult. The most difficult instrument to teach is, is voice. Hmm. With every other instrument, whether it's uh, a stringed instrument, woodwind, percussion, um, you know, I, there are places that one places one's hands or one holds the mouth. You, you know, you, you have to handle the instrument mm -hmm. how do you do that with your voice that's true it's inside so what exactly so what we try to do as a in, in teaching voice is to teach a person to become sensitive to their own f feedback that's coming through the body mm -hmm. i'm going to give you some i'm going to give you feedback from out here and tell you it, here's how this is sounding. What our intention is, is to sound this way. Mm -hmm. Try feeling it from here. Mm -hmm. Because technically, there's only one place where the voice, where the air and the vibrations happen. That's right here in the vocal cords. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing that's really happening here. Mm -hmm. But there is in terms of the way that I feel. Mm. Whether I'm more relaxed and open right. in the in the chamber, the lower chamber of the body uh, that's divided, you know, below the uh, diaphragm, where I'm drawing in air, or whether I'm uh, uh, feeling really tense here in the musculature around the vocal cords, mm -hmm. or anywhere else in the body. So a lot of it is is helping a person to become physically sensitive to their own process of singing, so that they can relax. Mm -hmm. This is necessary because, again, with with the fewer impediments to a person freely receiving the product, you know, music, the better. Mm -hmm. I like what your grandmother had, her point of view about recorded music. I've thought about this quite a bit. Re recorded music is a recent phenomenon in terms of human history. 
for most of our history, we have not had recorded music. In order to experience music, you had to experience it in the presence of the music maker. Mm -hmm. And I think, in a sense, we're kind of getting back to that. Uh, the industry has changed so much that people don't own music as much anymore. Mm -hmm. They simply access it. Mm -hmm. I don't know about the majority of people, but uh, based on what I can see from uh, folks showing up at shows and big shows, mm -hmm. that not owning music is not enough to close a loop. People still seek the personal experience of music. And that's where I think it has its most power and where it's really intended to be. I, I do love recorded music. There's stuff that I, I get to listen to. Well, there's to, definitely... Um it's important because that's how we keep um, knowing about what was made and we can also go back and learn from it. Yeah. But to be honest, you know, like we went to the who recently and I, yeah. I, I know some, I knew a lot more of their music than I thought, but I never knew a lot of the name songs. It's I'm not very, I, when they play on the radio, you don't always like growing up, you don't remember the song names. Right. So Michael said, well, this is their song and this is their song. I said, oh, I know that. I know that. I know that one really well. So, but I wasn't sure how I would be at the concert because, you know, it's pretty loud and everything. And to be honest, I'm not usually a huge fan of the electric guitar. I mean, I appreciate it. Wait a minute. But Allow me to gasp, would you? <gasps> I know. I like the acoustic. Um, it's just, but when when I saw Peter, they, they showed him like up close and I saw him what he did. And being there, I had a whole different experience. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I was, well, I was just wowed more by him than I thought I would be. You know, yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's, a, how did he do that? And it's just the sound. But I think it was that being in his presence, it's not just the music. It's like a spiritual teacher. Yeah. You want to be at least once in their presence because all these things are, are exchanged in consciousness. There's all these ways we exchange energy and you can't do that in a recording. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care. It is different. It's different. It's different. I, I value recordings for different reasons. But there's like, I remember every concert I've ever been to that moved me. I can go back into the experience. I can remember the feeling of it. I can't say that even about my the records I love. I mean, oh, I don't remember, okay. not the visceral, maybe it's because it's shared in a collective way in big concerts and you remember that. But there's something so special about it. You know, and and it's it, it does, it, you know, for me, it, it raises my consciousness on some level, whatever that consciousness is. Maybe it's just I'm going to appreciate like in this case, I learned to appreciate something that I didn't appreciate before. I'm more mm -hmm. open to, yeah. you know, in a sense and um, can see why people really value the plane of someone like him. Yeah. So it's, it's opening my mind to a different kind of person. And that's part of consciousness. Is It isn't all like woo-woo, experience God. It's just being open and broadening our perspectives, consciousness. Yes, yes. Becoming aware of something that we weren't aware of before in a way that uh, 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 enriches us personally. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was, I was thinking about, um, about recorded music. What is it's, you know, what's a great function? I think a great uh, purpose of recorded music is, is almost like meditation or as a meditative uh, way. When I'm enjoying recorded music, most of the time I'm by myself. Mm -hmm. So I can sink into the, um, and, and it's always going to be exactly the same every time I hear it. Only variation, maybe, you know, what I'm playing it on mm -hmm. and how it presents music. But I, I you know, I'm, I can, I have the opportunity to sink into that and have a personal experience with what seems to be communicated through the music. And I really do believe that um, specific uh, uh, pitches, combinations of pitches, harmonic sequences can be used because of the collective narrative we've created around it mm -hmm. can be used effectively for good purposes and obviously effectively for, for negative or destructive purposes. Um, and and um, one of the things I can be very grateful for is my background in, you know, as a church kid, I was being a church kid. One of the things about the Seventh-day Adventist church, especially at the time I was growing up, rich music, mm -hmm. rich music, Narrowly defined, yes, but mm -hmm. boy, the, the quality that we got, mm -hmm. you know, just from our local church, our local congregation in Compton, then, you know, add to that extended uh, churches throughout the region, throughout the country. Wonderful. Uh, um, there was a lot of music education, mm -hmm. a lot of opportunities to learn and to perform both within the church and within schools because they really run the school system as well. 
And because we heard a lot of classical music, my mother insisted that we have a lot of classical music. I, I would spend hours with phonographs, putting this on that one, on that, you know, all kinds of stuff. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, we would listen to classical music. We'd listen to a lot of spirituals, uh, a lot of uh, um, of older style gospel music, mm. not more the modern stuff, mm -hmm. but not a, you know a little bit of older style gospel music. Uh, and um, we didn't listen to a lot of pop. A lot of rock did not belong in our house. Mm -hmm. R and B did not belong in our house. Soul and funk mm -mm, couldn't have it. <laughs> we have to sneak outside to find it. <laughs> but the structure especially of classical music, was very instructive, very helpful. Mm. Um, I'm thoroughly bathed in Western harmony, mm -hmm. which is so important because that's the basis of our shared narrative here in the West. Right. I, I, I speak to that, too, because of, the, of, this, uh, of our, spiritual, uh, um, our spiritual inheritance here in the West. We have a wonderful path in the West communicated and uh, preserved, but communicated uh, mouth to ear. Mm -hmm. And this, again, goes back to the idea of, of of hearing music live as opposed to relying just on recordings. Mm -hmm. When you're li live, just like sitting there with your guru or your spiritual teacher, right. you're able to receive it firsthand, mouth, in, in a modern version, sort of mouth to ear. Now you might, you're going to be collect, you know, surrounded by a group of maybe 10 or 10,000 you know, 10, people or whatever it is, but still... You're able to make that connection with the giver of the music and the original intention of the music. If it's if it's, you know, if if they're careful enough to craft it that way, mm -hmm. but otherwise, you know, you you that live experience I think is more important than anything else. Yeah, and there's there's so much free live things here in L.A. If you think about yeah. it, you know, I I at Beyond Baroque will often have things. There was a program I went mm. to, and there was not that, that many people there, but it was a fantastic program. Like it was, you know, the the singers were great, the songs, and huh. and I was so glad I went out. I was like, you know, I should do this more. I mean, it doesn't really, you know, you know, you don't want to go out. It's cold or whatever it is. It was in the winter when I was, and it wasn't that far away. But I was so glad I did, and and I think. I think people, you know, everything swings the pendulum. And like you said, I think that there's more of that sense of community and music, I think, coming back a lot. And there's room for everything, you know. Yeah. So true. I did want to also mention, I think Michael wanted to talk about the demonic chord. <laughs> Diablos in musica. We definitely are fascinated by that because I tend to listen to a lot of metal music. Yeah. And of course, the diminished fifth um, for centuries apparently was banned by the church. They mm -hmm. wouldn't allow composers to use it because it caused this sort of uh, resonance that was caused angst in people and they, they thought it would actually unleash the forces of hell if you used it in a composition. So I believe at one point they even executed people for using it, composers, if they found them using it. So it's quite an interesting thing. So, And I want to make one other quick comment before uh -huh. we move on too, just because I was listening to you guys talk about recording. Um, and I was speaking with a friend of, about music recently and he informed me that a lot of people recording music are going back to analog tape again, that they're getting uh -huh. away from digital, that, that they feel that there's a warmth or a presence or harmonics to recording on, on tape that doesn't exist. And I also remember um, an interview that was done with Jack White. And he was one of the guys that really brought back the LP. He was insistent that they start recording on vinyl again and set up a, a studio in, mm. in Nashville to record on vinyl. And he was in a limousine. He was talking to um, Dan Rather, whoever was interviewing him. And he said, look, he said, I can download music on, you know, I can download a, a film and watch it on my, my iPad. Um, he said, but when you pass by a theater, he said, you know, that's where you're supposed to be watching a film, not on your iPad. And he said, it's the same with music. He said, you can download it digitally, but you know you're supposed to be listening to it on vinyl. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was tower really... speakers, baby. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. But as I said, you know, the diminished fifth is definitely a, a fascination of mine. So I'll let you guys talk a little about that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy that you brought that up. The Diablos in Musica, uh, the devil in music. So the... Um, it, it takes a, a bit of knowing of, of Western harmony, but um, the, the Diablos in Musica is a wild child. It's a wild card, so to speak. It, um, all right, so in our uh, Western system of harmony, it's, uh, um, the initial pitches, there are only uh, 11 distinct pitches. They say 12, but that would be repeating the first one. So mm -hmm. it's actually 11 distinct pitches. Uh, the dif distance between each pitch we now call a half tone or mm -hmm. half half step or mm -hmm. semitone. Uh, is it? Wait, what did they call it in England? 
I forget what they all call you, the semi-quivy wave, blah, blah, anyway. But, <laughs> oh, oh, that's rhythm. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's not pitch. Pitch is fine. So, uh, semitone or halftone. So, Diablos and Musica. Uh, the, uh, an interval is the measured distance between two tones. So, I'm going to use my hands to mark. So, this is, I'm going to say this is C, the pitch known as C. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, to get to um, the diminished fifth or augmented fourth, we're going to go four letter names above C's. C, what's next after C? D, E, F. So, mm-hmm. it is a C to an F in this case. It could start on any pitch. I'm just using this as an example. Mm-hmm. C to F. The Diablos and Musica must involve a C and an F, however they're called. This could be C, C sharp, C flat, F, F sharp, F flat. But some combination of the two is going to result in it. Now, from C to F. But you also have to come from C to C sharp, one half step. C sharp to D is another half step. D to D sharp, another half step. D sharp to E, another half step. E to F, another half step. Five half steps does not the Diablos in music make. It requires six. Mm. F to F sharp. Ah. Oh. So it's C to a kind of F, in this case an F sharp. Mm-hmm. That is the augmented fourth. If you reverse it, the higher C to a lower F sharp, that's a diminished fifth. Ah. Oh. Interesting. Well, but, <clears throat> so... I think I got that right. Let's say that I did. Anyway, but C to F sharp. That pitch is unaccounted for. It's hard to account for it in classic Western harmony. And so the the rule was by the time um, uh, Bach came around in the uh, um, mid-18th century. No, 17th, excuse me. Um, by the time he came around, they could not have both of those tones happening at the same time, striking at the same time, mm-hmm. because they were it was too disruptive. Mm. That particular interval requires a move. Mm-hmm. You can't just let it stay there. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, like Michael suggested, there was something about that interval that they suspect it was demonic. Because it could, it wasn't really accounted for in mm. the system of harmony mm. that was developed. So you, if you, if you, let's say that, uh, never mind. Oh, I'd have to spell it too much. It'd be easier to play it. But you could say have an F sharp, and I know I'm going to have to involve C at some point. So I might start from D. While that F sharp is holding, I've got F sharp D playing at the same time, and then slide in the C right there for a moment before resolving the chord to a G and a B in this case. Mm-hmm. So I've got to let that, it has to be approached in passing, mm-hmm. not directly. Mm. They were so afraid of it, but it's it's a necessary interval. Mm. It's, it's absolutely necessary. It is the most profound change other than, um, uh, what do we call a, you know, the half step. If you have a C and a C sharp together, mm. it's grating. Mm-hmm. But this doesn't grate, it seduces you. Mm. We actually feel okay with it, just a little disturbed. Mm. It's not like a punch in the eye, a punch in the nose. Mm. I'm trying to find a better... Is this making sense at all? Yeah. Okay, good. good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that, but that, that's a wonderful interval. Now, now one thing I was... Uh, before we got started, we've got a piano here uh, in the lodge, hanging out in one of the hallways. And I just started thinking about the the diminished fourth uh, or diminished fifth. And I thought, wait a minute, let's go play around with halftones. And so I went to the piano and had not done this before, but if you count up by threes, you will end up with the chord of a diminished uh, seventh, which involves not one, but two. No, yeah. E flat to A. Yeah, not one, but two mm. diminished uh, uh, fifths. Mm. Stacked right all together, and it is the most—it's the juiciest chord. Mm. It's a ba da 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 da. I can play it anyway. Um, it's a—it's—it's it's the juiciest little chord, mm-hmm. and it—but re- it requires a change. It's just that the change can come from any place. 
So, quick concept, consonance and dissonance. In music, consonance uh, is a combination of two or more tones that are fine, just resting where they are. Mm -hmm. Dissonance is the idea of, of two tones that really want to move. Something wants to change in them. Mm -hmm. The diminished seventh chord is, it, it sort of can rest on its own, but it doesn't ever really want to. It wants to change. So you can change, it, but, but because... Uh, but because it contains two of these Diablos and Musicas, it can go a number of different directions. It's a wonderful, wonderful chord, but you and you hear it all the time. Mm -hmm. You hear it all the time now in... So well, it's not really time. demonic anymore. No, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it still sounds it. It's like, like I was saying, in, in, in metal or... Oh, that, that's yeah. it. That's, um, what's his, uh, what's his name? Um, Marilyn Manson. Right. That's huh. the diminished seven. Oh, uh, I mean, diminished That does fit. sound cool. Yeah, it is cool. I love it. It's interesting. I remember, I don't know where I heard this when I was I young, but Debussy broke some rules. I remember reading about this. He broke, he broke... Um, some harmonic roles during the time, and and his teachers thought he was scandalous. And I thought nobody would think him as scandalous now. Not but, anymore, but no. But at the time, he was doing things differently. Yeah, actually, WC involved uh, chords like your beautiful diminished uh, uh, seventh or a diminished seventh chord. He used them prodigiously. These, when you listen to uh, Claude W.C.'s music today, I, I think a lot of people would think of it as romantic, or, or, mm. or uh, but at the time, uh, this is coming. This is coming at the end of what's called the um, Romantic period, mm -hmm. which um, where music began uh, to take on more uh, collect in our consciousness. Music became more than just music. Mm -hmm. Music was also narrative. It was also story. I mean, we'd had opera, obviously, for you know a couple hundred years before, but the the difference is that uh, composers were not um, feeling obliged to stick to specific forms. Mm -hmm. If you hear a Mozart symphony and compare that with, say, uh, uh, Shostakovich, you can clearly hear the form, the the adherence to form in Mozart. Shostakovich, you're not nearly as clear about that. Mm -hmm. So that's a you know an era uh, later between Romanticism and the more modern era of which Shostakovich was a member. There was a small window, late 19th century, early 20th century, uh, uh, where, where um, composers were referred to as impressionists, mm -hmm. similar to the impressionist movement in art, mm -hmm. where you would have a dollar period, you know, smaller things that, to represent a, a larger whole. So his what some of what he did wrong, and just let's be clear in this: every composer worth anything breaks rules. Mm -hmm. They can be small rules, small practices break with a small practice that you know composers before me had, and I'm mm -hmm. going to start a new school. Uh, you know, so every every composer breaks something. You learn every you learn all the rules so that you can break them intelligently. Right. Uh, but his his use of harmony was. Um, Different, mm -hmm. very different. So, as opposed to the uh, oh, here's a good one. Bam, don't talk, dum, bum, 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 dum, 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 W.C. Um, was not as interested in that kind of a setup. That's a classic, perfect progression, mm -hmm. one to five, mm -hmm. or uh, uh, tonic to dominant, um, subdominant, that's everything. Um, W.C. was not as, as interested in that. What, what brought you, I'm curious, what got you interested in W.C.? I, you know, I had to go look it up because I don't know, as a, well, I, you know, I played classical piano yeah. and I must have been playing a piece and maybe my teacher told me because I didn't take I, well I did take a few music classes at NYU somewhere it's stuck in my brain because yeah. I remember thinking like how odd that he was scandalous you know because his beautiful music yeah. and, and and it just stuck in my head all these years and so I went and I looked it up and I said yeah it's really true I didn't just make that up in my head <laughs> And I think I must have been playing oh. a, or, or it must have been for my NYU class in music, okay. or that the teacher mentioned it, and I would have never known on my own. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, oh my gosh, we're I'm winding down. We're done? So, 
Yes, and well, oh, let's yeah. see, where can we reach you? It's Ray Davis, Ray Davis Music at uh, com. And yeah. also on Instagram, it's official Ray the Davis official Ray Music. Davis. You can yeah. follow him yeah. there, and you're on Facebook. And yeah. please check out his website. He's got some short pieces of his music you can listen to, and you can really get get a chance to know um, his own writing and singing. And I think he's amazing. And we're so happy to have you here today and yeah. and hope you enjoyed it. And you'll we'll come back, maybe. Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> so Lots of stuff to talk about. <laughs> so, well, thank you all for listening. And we will see you, uh, I'll see you next week as we continue to explore the esoteric and obscure together. Have a great week. <laughs>